Congregation, our text this afternoon comes from 1 Kings chapter 17, the verses 17 through to 24. 1 Kings 17, 17 to 24. There we read God's word as follows. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sins to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn her by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So far our reading from Scripture. Dearly beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, so far in our series on 1 Kings dealing with the prophet Elijah and King Ahab, we've observed the Lord's response to an apostate people. Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel had incited the people to worship Baal in addition to Yahweh, their covenant God. And inevitably, with one foot in each camp, the worship of Yahweh by the covenant people of Israel was becoming watered down. The constant reminder of God's love and provision, the broken wall of Jericho, had been rebuilt. It was an indication that the nation of Israel no longer acknowledged that it was their God who had brought them into the promised land. Nor did they recognize that it was their covenant God who kept them safe and provided for their needs while living in the midst of their inheritance. And now they were looking somewhere else for their needs, to Baal. And so God sent them a divine wake-up call, you might say. There would be no rain. Baal the God supposedly responsible for the rains would be shown to be no God at all. More than that, God would not give them the life-giving power of His Word. In response, the Lord calls the faithful prophet of God, Elijah, out of the land. And if they were no longer interested in following the Lord and His Word, then the Word would be taken away. And so Elijah heeds that call. 
to leave the promised land and he crossed the Jordan and there on the other side the Lord provides for him by the brook. But last time we learned that God was not content to leave things as they stood. No, if the covenant people were not interested in the gospel message. God would send the prophet with the word into the heart of heathendom. His grace and his mercy would be put on display through the widow of Zarephath, a foreigner. And this poor widow in the heart of the land of Baal would receive the gospel message of salvation. And Israel would be confronted with the irony of their situation. While the covenant people of Yahweh trusted in Baal for the rain and suffered the devastating effects of a prolonged drought. The widow of Zarephath, left destitute by her native god Baal, was being sustained by the power of God, the God of Israel. Her oil and her flour never ran out. And then we get to our text, where the whole story seems to turn on its heels. What we read next is completely unexpected. The widow's son dies. The foreigner who had found sanctuary under the blessing of God, the God of Israel, was subjected to every parent's worst nightmare. Her one and only child was taken from her. And it leaves us wondering what God was doing in the life of this poor widow. Initially, it made sense. God was showing Israel that anyone who put their trust in Baal was going to be destitute. But anyone who turned away from Baal to the one true God in heaven would be well supplied. But with the death of the widow's son, she too seemed to be living under the judgment of God rather than his blessing. The clear gospel message that had gone out that God provides for his people was now being obscured and overshadowed by this devastating event in her life. And so you might say the gospel had taken one step forward, and now it appeared that it had taken two steps backwards. But is that really what's taken place, brothers and sisters? Or is there something else here that the Lord wants to teach us? Well, indeed, there is. Therefore, I preach to you under the following theme and points, one step back and two steps forward. The Lord reveals his divine provision for his people through the death of the widow's son. By making the widow of Zarephath take a step back, by moving the gospel message of salvation two steps forward. Brothers and sisters, have you ever thought that things were going well in your life? Many of your plans and ambitions had, have been met. Perhaps you had struggles at one point and challenges that, that set you back, but the Lord had been good and He had delivered you and sustained you through all of them. He had in His mercy carried you so that you came out of the valley of despair with the joy of salvation etched squarely upon your heart. And the gospel message set you at ease. You embraced the comfort that we confess in Lord's Day 1. 
that we belong in body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And you came to church each week to celebrate the rich mercy of salvation, the joy of knowing the love of God. But then, God let something happen in your life that completely turned all of this upside down. Someone close to you was diagnosed with a terminal illness or was suddenly taken away. Perhaps you were blindsided by an act of betrayal from a family member, spouse, a child, a parent that left your life in shambles. Maybe your world was shattered by bankruptcy, a failed marriage, or even a child that walked away from the faith. And your temporary joy was replaced by anguish and despair. And in that moment, you understood intimately the brokenness of life. You could identify with the deep grief that Asaph expressed in Psalm 74. Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? And having experienced that grief, you can understand how these Words would have resonated with the widow of Zarephath at that moment. She had first met the prophet Elijah when she and her son were on the threshold of death. She was gathering sticks to prepare a fire to eat her last meal and then die. She'd been abandoned by the gods of this world. Nobody really cared if she lived or if she died. And then the Lord God of Israel came to her through the word. The prophet Elijah sent to deliver her a message of salvation, offering her refuge. And in an act of faith, she heeded the call of the prophet by giving him food and water from the meager supply that she had to live on. She placed her faith in the provision of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And she encountered the joy of salvation. Not only did she receive the unending physical provision of a bottomless jar of oil and flour, but she also received the eternal blessing of salvation. Imagine her elation. How overwhelmed she must have been that in an instant she was transformed from the rejected to the redeemed. But our text shows that her joy was short-lived. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. Her son died. And it rattled her faith in the God of Israel. Some liberal scholars suggest that the term that no breath was left in him did not refer to the boy's death. But it's clear from Elijah's prayer in the following verse that indeed the child had passed away. Elijah prays, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? And as a reader, we wonder what purpose God had in allowing this poor widow whom he had saved to now suffer such a calamity. Because what we read next in verse 18 is that the widow questions her faith. 
She goes to Elijah and confronts him. What have you against me, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my sins to remembrance, to cause the death of my son. This woman is thinking that now that she had come under the purview of the God of heaven, Her sins had been exposed. With Elijah, the prophet of, God, of Yahweh, living in her house, God had taken notice of her and had seen all the sin in her life. It had been laid bare before the eyes of God. And having seen her sins, the holy and righteous God was now punishing her with the death of her son. Really, it's not such a crazy conclusion. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Nor was it the first time that the Lord had struck down the sons of those who had opposed Him. Just think back to the final plague in Egypt. God sends the destroying angel to strike down all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians as judgment for their stubborn rebellion. But the widow is somewhat different. She had found safety under the protection of Yahweh. Why did he take her son? Don't we all sometimes ask that question? In the midst of our grief and our challenges. Why, Lord? Why, what have I done to deserve this? But in spite of her questions... Her doubts and her fears. She goes to Elijah the prophet. She seeks his response. Although her faith is shaken, she has taken a step back in faith. She doesn't abandon her God. She seeks to understand what God's purposes are. And what's interesting is that Elijah is also left somewhat at a loss as to why God had done this thing. And nevertheless, by Elijah's response, we see that the prophet takes up her cause. He steps in, acting as a mediator, a go-between, standing in the middle with the holy God of Israel on one side and the broken widow on the other, pleading her cause on her behalf. He said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And beloved, if we think about it, our situation is not all that different from this poor widow. We can easily put ourselves in her shoes. We've all been through those valleys in life that God allows us to suffer. And whatever our perfect personal circumstances might be, we all need the same thing when we're brought to our knees because of the brokenness of life. And our faith is shaken. What we need is someone to take up our cause. 
in our natural state, the sin and misery that's so evident in our own lives at times inevitably leaves us condemned before God. It leaves us weighed down by His judgment. And just like the widow, we need someone to plead our case to our Heavenly Father. A mediator to stand in the gap on our behalf. And guess what, brothers and sisters? Our loving God has given us that. We can come in our brokenness and our grief because we have such a mediator in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And although the judgment that we deserve for our sins is death, death is no longer the outcome of our transgressions. Because another has died in our place who was none other than the very mediator of the world. And based upon Christ's sacrifice and His work as the one mediator between God and man, we are redeemed and given new life. Just like the widow, our lives are renewed through the God of Israel. Hebrews 9 verse 15 says this about our Lord Jesus. Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. What we read in Hebrews teaches us that we need the mediator in order to receive the promised eternal inheritance. And it was no different back then in the days of Elijah. And we need to recognize that the covenant promise of salvation was being passed on through the generations. And if one generation turned away, remaining in their sin, it would rob their children of their inheritance. True life, spiritual life would be taken from them. And that was exactly what was taking place in Israel. The generation that turned to Baal was bringing the judgment of God upon their children. And so the Lord takes the widow's son and uses him as a sign for his apostate people. This widow who followed Baal because of her sin deserved the just judgment of God upon her children. And so the Lord takes his life through his, this sickness. But then... God turns around and He reveals His mercy and His love to those who have faith in Him. Because even in her brokenness and despair, she turned to the prophet of God. In other words, she was still hoping in the God of Israel with a hope beyond hope because who could believe that the dead could live again? But God provides her with Elijah to plead her case. And then we see the miraculous resurrection of the widow's son. Our text says, Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And that is the message that God wants Elijah to bring back to his wayward people in Israel. Look, this heathen woman turned to me out of her sin and misery, and her child has received new life. This outsider's son lives because of me. 
The child has received the inheritance that was promised to the children of Israel. And the children of Israel are at this moment under the judgment of God because they're following Baal. And God wants the message to get through to Israel that if they turn to Him, He would give them a mediator to please their case. And their children would receive new life, the promised inheritance of God. And beloved, that is a message that comes with even greater force and clarity for us today. Because we know our mediator lives in heaven even now. We know that our Lord and Savior has paid the price for our sin and that he has ascended into heaven to plead our case on the basis of his blood so that we are assured of our heavenly inheritance. And so indeed, we can come with our burdens and our struggles with the assurance that Christ will breathe new life into us. And that brings us to our second point. The Lord reveals His divine provision for His people through the death of the widow's son by moving the gospel message of salvation two steps forward. Beloved, the devastating death of the widow's son that left her faith shaken and caused her to take a step back came full circle in verse 23 because the child that had died was now alive. We read, And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. You could imagine the utter amazement that the widow must have experienced at that moment. It must have left her speechless as she gazed at the child alive and well before her. And then we hear her confession. Yes, she had taken a step back. The circumstances of her life had caused her to doubt the God of Israel. But in the face of this new development, all skepticism was gone. And we read in verse 24, And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. And that's the confession that God wants all his people to proclaim. He wants us to be certain, to trust in him alone. And so this challenge that set the widow's faith back a step served to produce in her a certainty, an unshakable confidence in the God of Israel. And as a result, the gospel message took two steps forward. First, in her own life. And secondly, her experience would serve as a sign for the apostate nation of Israel. Because there's quite a contrast, brothers and sisters, between the, the widow and the people of Israel. The people of God following Baal were no longer certain at all. Unlike the widow of Zarephath, they no longer trusted in God and in Him alone. And so God was bringing calamity upon them through the prolonged drought that was devastating the promised land. What was the result of that calamity? Well, their children were going to die. They were going to suffer the same 
despair as this widow had just suffered. And it would appear to them that all hope was lost. And God would bring them to a place where they needed to cry out to their God, to Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. But unlike the widow, there would be no one to mediate. At least, not right away. Elijah was gone. Asaph in Psalm 74 verse 9 cries out in despair in similar circumstances. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet. And there is none among us who knows how long. In judgment, they would be brought to despair, not knowing where deliverance would come from. But the psalmist Asaph knows the character of the covenant God of Israel. Verse 12 of Psalm 74, he reminds the reader, Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. His plan of salvation would not be altered. All hope was not lost. And we need to keep that in mind when apostasy comes upon the church of Jesus Christ. When the people of God have one foot in the world and one in the church and the gospel message is being eclipsed and the Lord takes the lampstand away. His plan of salvation will continue. It cannot be circumvented. And for that reason, we can cry out with Asaph, as he does in Psalm 74, Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your inheritance, of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. And that must have been the cry of the faithful remnant that still remained in Israel. Because indeed God was going to send Elijah back to his apostate people in short order. The very next passage, 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah goes back and confronts the wicked Ahab. And upon his return, he would bring with him that message of the widow who turned in faith to God and received new life for her and for her son. And really... Brothers and sisters, our situation is not dramatically different. We have a mediator as well. One who confronts his people through the gospel message of salvation. And the message is the same. Trust in the God of your inheritance. The God who has promised you a heavenly inheritance. And you will receive a renewed life. Fast forward Pentecost, we see the message still going out in much the same way. The Apostle Peter came to the wayward Israelites who had crucified the Lord and called upon them to repent and believe. And that gospel message that we need to seek new life and the mediator of this world is still being proclaimed to the people of God. He calls us to believe in Him and in Him alone. That is the only source of certainty, as the widow found out. Even during trials, 
temptations, calamities, when we turn to our mediator in heaven, trusting in him alone, we are given new life. And the certainty of receiving our heavenly inheritance. For as Peter concludes in his sermon at Pentecost, for the promise is to you and to your children. Amen.